0: Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, munciefirstchurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. I'm just celebrating this morning because it's true, the cross that was meant to kill is our victory. We have hope today. And uh, that's what I want to talk to you about. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 and uh, verse 3, and we're going to look at that. And uh, how many of you enjoyed the warm days this week? Anybody here, raise your hand and enjoyed the warm days this week? How many of you like the snow that's falling right now? I can look out there and I can see it. Do you love it? Uh, you guys are a bunch of crazy people that just need to have something done right and fix you, because man, it's. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to get to be 60s pretty soon. Next Sunday, 60s motorcycle weather can't wait it's good you know there's there's altern- there there's reasons for my being glad first peter chapter one if you have your bibles um and, and that's where we're going to look i'm going to read that in just a minute hang on to that keep it open right there but let me ask you a question as we get started this morning what would you say if i told you this week we had one of the greatest things happen ever It was amazing. Some guys came in to see me this week and they they said, we've been looking at your land. We've been examining all the rock formations and all the way it's laid out here. And we believe that the largest deposit of crude oil is right beneath the 19 acres right here, right now. I mean, they said there is so much oil underneath there, you're going to be filthy rich. You're going to be able to pay for missions for every denomination. You're not going to need to worry about it. You're going to just be able to, to... fund anyone and everyone. In fact, it's going to create so many jobs in Muncie, there's not going to be poor people left in Muncie. They're just going to wipe out. In fact, it's going to change the whole state of Indiana. What would you say about that? How would you feel if someone came and told you that you were going to be rich like that? Well, I got some bad news for you. No one came and said that to me, (laughs) but I have some more good news. I believe God is showing me something that I think is even better than discovering a huge oil reserve underneath our feet. Because we've been talking about how do you get rich, How how to live like we're rich. Because I don't believe that we were meant to live like we were paupers. We're not meant to live like we have nothing. We were meant to live rich. And there are many people who we would all consider rich, but I think there are many people who are only rich on paper and not rich in reality, and they're faking being rich but they're not really rich. I had a friend in Bern, he's a farmer. When I lived in Byrne, Indiana, he was a farmer. He farmed about 5,000 acres. He had a lot of farming to do. In fact, every year he has a $2 million line of credit at the bank that he uses to plant and fertilize and pay for fuel. He bets $2 million against the rain every year. I'm not sure that's rich, that's just crazy is what that is. But anyway, uh, every spring they take that and they plant I remember one Fourth of July. His name is Tony. Tony came to me and he said, "Listen," he said, uh, "I want you to ride with me because I got to show you my crops. They look so amazing this year." So we got in his truck and we were driving around, and he was showing me all this his uh, different places that he, his crops were growing. And we drove through these fields that the corn was not, it wasn't knee high, it was shoulder high. Fourth of July, it was just beautiful. And I was like, wow, it really does look good. because it's gonna be a good year. It's gonna be a good year. Well, that evening, it started to rain. And it rained solid for five days. And I drove back out to the areas where he had shown me. And there were fields where you couldn't even see a corn stalk anymore. There was just water, big lakes floating. All that was gone, every bit of it. And I saw Tony the next week at church, and he was upset and very animated, and he's telling a bunch of guys about how the rain had ruined everything. The rain had wiped out his crops. It upset him so much. He said, you know, I have lost literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in crops and money. It's all gone. And One of the guys tapped him on the shoulder and said, Tony, you didn't lose millions of dollars. You lost millions of dollars of potential, but you didn't lose millions of dollars because you didn't have millions of dollars. It was in the field still. You hadn't picked it yet. It wasn't yours. He had lost everything that he had spent, but he hadn't lost the money that he was going to make because, you know, he hadn't made it yet. The wealth that he was speculating on was, was it wasn't real. It could be lost. It was susceptible to the weather, and he lost it. And that's the big problem I see in the world today. We're basing our lives. We're basing our happiness, we're basing our joy, our success, our futures on things that are susceptible to weather, failure, devastation, situations, all kinds of things. For instance, big house, nice car, vacations, entertainment, being comfortable. Even our marriage, when we have these things, we call ourselves rich, but the problem is is that our circumstances change. I have seen houses That we thought were just going to be the end all to end all, suddenly become old and tired and worn out or infested with something. Cars, cars are a joke. They get old. We love them when we get them. We can't wait to get rid of them when we get rid of them. You know, they change as our hearts change. We're fickle that way. Vacation, man, vacation seems like the problem solver in these days that we live in, doesn't it? If I can just go on a vacation, it's all going to be good. But the problem is I come back from vacation and all the work's piled up on my desk. By the time I get done with that, I'm going, man, I need a vacation. And entertainment, I love to be entertained. Don't you love good music and don't you love to go to some fun things or to a play or something like that? I love being entertained, movies, it's so good. But when it's over, I'm back to my reality. And being comfortable is uh, subject to where I'm at in my life, my physical well-being, my economic situation. Marriage. I'll tell you, marriage is great. I love my wife. She's wonderful. She's in the nursery today, so I can talk about her. She's not in here, and I just do that. And you guys won't say a word, right? That's the way it works. Every time I say anything about her when she's in the nursery, she comes up and goes, I heard you were talking about me. You guys all just go and tell her everything I say. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> that's Okay. But marriage is great, but it's dependent upon more than just me. Because if I'm doing a good job and working hard trying to be a good husband, and she doesn't work at it and doesn't want to stay married, marriage will disappoint you. It happens. So I've come to believe there's only one thing, one commodity, one truth that is not subject to anything else, and which we, the church, the children of the King of Kings, have in abundance, and the world needs it desperately. It's what sets us apart from the world, and it makes us filthy rich, and we don't even realize it. And that commodity is hope. Hope. I'm going to tell you something right now. It's our business. The church is in the business of hope, like Microsoft is in the business of software. That should have just gotten you all excited. There should have been amens everywhere. You should be waving your hankies right now. I'm telling you, we got hope. We got hope by the bundles full. We got hope by the buckets full. We got so much hope that we don't know what to do with it all. And anyone else but the church who offers hope is offering a counterfeit. You know, there are people who give you, you know, like software that they say will work like Microsoft. They're lying to you. Nothing works like Microsoft it's microsoft's software and our hope is the only hope anyone else that's offering you hope is offering you something else it's not the true hope only the church only jesus christ offers hope and the problem is is it's time that we the church start utilizing what god has given to us to give out it's time for us to begin dispense it and and, and disperse it out there and advertise what it is we're able to do we need to quit walking around with our heads down in the days and age we live in going, well, I sure hope nobody knows that we're a church. Nobody will ever, man, I hope he doesn't find out I'm a pastor. We should be dancing in the streets and say, hey, look at me. I'm a pastor and I'm a man who can give you hope. I can offer you hope like nobody else. Anybody agree with me right now that we live in a world that doesn't feel very hopeful? Anybody feel like it's not very hopeful? Yeah, Yeah. It's a it's kind of a tough time to live right now. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple things. And I don't want this to be a, a, you know, a Debbie Downer kind of sermon. I want this to be up because it is an up sermon. But I want to give you some things that will kind of set the stage for this. Let me show you some signs and symptoms of the hopelessness that we're living in. We're killing our babies. Okay? In 2017, we aborted 881,000 babies in the United States. That's like murdering all the people in Fort Wayne, Muncie, Anderson, and much of Delaware County all in one year, just wiping out that area. That's how many babies we got rid of in in 2017. And only people without hope killed their children. Suicides. Suicides were the 10th leading cause of death in the United States in 2017. 47,173 people killed themselves in the United States. 1,400,000 tried to do that in 2017. Suicide and self-inflicted injuries cost the United States an estimated $69 billion in 2017. There were 14 suicides for every 100,000 people living in the United States, and most of them were white middle-aged males, 78% of them. People without hope try to kill themselves. People without hope. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. Then there's drug addiction, and right now the crisis in that is amazing right now as people are dying everywhere from overdoses and, and drug addiction. Child molestation, hardly turn on the news without hearing about some more of that and, and all the stuff that's going on with the internet and all the, the stuff that just makes me sick and it just breaks my heart. The, the cop killings that are going on, it's ridiculous. I was always taught to respect our police officers, not to kill them. And I don't understand. And when we see a nation that's doing that, you have to guess there's no hope. Rape, kids bullying other kids, gun violence. These are not the characteristics of a hopeful society. Our society is broken and it's living without any hope. And here's the good news part of that. We are the greatest and only source of hope in the entire world. And the truth is, is that we, the church should just be busting at the seams right now there should be so many people in here it should be so packed in here there should be so many people in here that we couldn't see them all and we had to have 10 services it should be like that every sunday in every church in delaware county and everywhere around us it should just be like that because we have hope and we have an offering to give to them that is so incredible and they need it so bad but instead The church struggles and is dying, we're being told, and it's going to take hope with it. See, the reason the church is dying is not because we don't have a great product to offer to the world, because we do, we have the greatest product, hope. The church is dying because we're not on the offensive, we're not passing out the hope we've been given, we're not making sure that everybody sees it, we're not making sure everybody knows about it, we're not telling people about the hope that we've been given. In fact, I'm not sure most people who claim to be Christ's followers, are tapping into the hope that we have. We're not living in the hope we've been given so freely. In fact, i got to be honest with you. We, the church, look an awful lot like the hopeless world that we live in. We walk around like, man, I don't know if I have any hope at all. We should be declaring fearlessly that we have hope and living out that hope. Instead, we, the church, are programming and trying to disguise who we are. We're just trying to stay alive. We're just looking as much like the world as possible so nobody notices. We're just busy trying to make the world like us. We're just fussing and fighting with each other. We're trying to be more comfortable. We're seeing how little we can do and still have hope. We're ignoring the Word of God. You know, it's just it's kind of hard to, to follow. We're living in disobedience to the one who we say we love and follow. It's like this. If there was a drought, can you imagine with me for a moment if there was this big drought and it was all drying up and we as a church had a big reservoir of water underneath here, an aquifer that was just huge and it would easily take care of all of Delaware County and we would just simply say, no, we're only going to run it a little bit at a time. We're not going to do that. We're not going to give out too much of that water. We're going to just keep it quiet. Don't tell anybody we have it. And that'd be crazy. We would go out and we'd tell everybody, we put signs out here, we have all the water you need come in and we would create places and spigots and all kinds of places where they could come in and get water so they could live, so they would be alive. People are dying. And we need to hang a sign out that says that we have hope enough for everyone and we need to live in the power of our product. We need to go out on the street and say come on in we got hope in here there's hope and we have it and you guys need it come on in so let me read the scripture first peter chapter one starting in verse three it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope in other words he's caused us to be born. Again, we've been saved, and we're saved into a hope that is, while we're, while we're yet living, this isn't a hope for down the road someplace. This isn't a hope that, that when we die, there'll be a, 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 there'll be a heaven. We believe in that, and that's part of our hope. But, but he says, we've been born into a living hope. We have a hope that's alive. We have a hope for right now. We're living in that hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we sang about that, into an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and reserved in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last times, in which you rejoice greatly, although now for a short time, if necessary, you are distressed by various trials, so that the genu- genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold that is passing away, but is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the, re- the revelation of jesus christ whom although you have not seen your love and whom now you believe although you do not see him and you rejoice greatly with joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls so we have tapped into the life-giving source of hope the world needs it to recap people are dying we're hiding it we're covering up and we're trying to keep it all inside the church when we are filthy rich and it's time for us to quit playing at our faith and it's time for us to begin to drill down deeply into the source of our hope what is it that i'm talking about let me see if i can just give you some specifics when we get saved when we are forgiven of our sins we come into the church or we come into this relationship and we are so thirsty for something our hopelessness is amazing anybody here ever be been in a situation where you're just dying of thirst or you're extremely hungry and anything you get to eat tastes like the best thing ever and then later on you go back and you say man i want some more of that and you eat it and you go that's very good you know but when you're hungry it's amazing even spam tastes good when you're hungry I kind of like spam. I grew up on that, so yeah, I could live. But anyway, we have been living in hopelessness, and we find hope, and it's so refreshing. After all of our hopelessness, that we think, "Oh man, I'm all the way in. I have forgiveness." So I begin to read the scriptures a little. I go to church some. I pray maybe a little. I try to be nicer. They tell me some things I should stop doing so I don't cuss as much as I used to. And I think, there, I'm good to go. Folks, let me tell you something. It's the tip of the iceberg. It's not about stopping doing anything. It's about so much more than that. It's about God. It's about getting to know him. It's about being in a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's about breaking through to that relationship. It's about knowing him like you know the person sitting next to you that person you're married to. It's like knowing someone that is intimately yours. Being saved from our sins is the beginning. The resource of hope goes infinitely deeper. You will never reach the center of it. You will never get through it. It is beyond our ability to understand. We just keep going down deeper and deeper. It gets richer and richer. It tastes brand new every time. You ever wonder why when you got saved it felt so good, but later everything seemed to be the same? And the answer to that's this. When you got saved, you were hungry for it and you were sipping off the surface of hope, but you're still sipping off the surface of hope. You're not going deep. You're not going down into where it really changes everything. You haven't gone all the way down deep into it. God wants to take us down to his pool of hope until we drown, and he wants to heal your spirit. You know, a lot of you are walking around with your spirit all messed up. You know, you had these things happen to you as a kid. You got abused, you got molested, you got taken advantage of, you got hurt. Somebody said something. I was telling everybody uh, in, in our, work, in our uh, time of prayer before, we were laughing about some things and talking about things we used to, our moms used to make us wear and different things. And I said, well, my mom used to sew dresses for my sisters and then she'd make me a shirt that matched their dresses it was awful and my spirits all messed up from that I'm going to tell you you know I've I've had to really work at forgiving her for that you know but some of you walking around in your spirit your your life is just in a mess and he wants to heal your spirit it's not just a a, you know you're going to be okay and I'll save you one of these days he wants to heal your spirit right now he wants to heal your soul He wants to take care of all that stuff that's going on inside of you. He wants to heal your bodies. I do believe in the healing of the bodies, and I believe God wants to heal. And he has enough hope to heal your marriages. You know, our marriages are not fatal. You can't just go, oh, well, there's nothing we can do. There's plenty we can do, and God wants to do it in us. He gives us hope. He has enough hope to heal your marriages and enough hope to heal the relationship with your children. Because some of you are walking around saying, my kids don't talk to me anymore, and this situation in my life isn't very good, and that, you know what, God wants to fix that. He wants to help you with that. He wants to take care of those things with you. He even wants to give you enough hope to forgive your mom for making shirts to wear like that. He wants to make enough, he has enough hope for you to pour it out all over your neighbors and your co-workers. You you shouldn't be sitting there going, well, I'm going to hold on to this because it's my hope. It should be something that when we get, we go out and we just begin to dump it because it's just overflowing and you can't hold on to all of it. He wants to give us enough hope to pass it out and pour it all over our city, our state, our nation, and our world. And he wants to fill up all the places in your heart with hope where once it was fear and doubt. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? There's so many of us who've lived with fear and doubt all of our lives, and we've been walking around saying, man, I tell you, when I get to heaven, it's going to be all better. I think God wants to do it now. He doesn't want to wait till you get to heaven. He wants to pour hope into you until it overflows and runs out all over the people that you meet. Have you ever had that dream where you were so rich, they had so much money that when you met people, you could just go, here. Here's a couple hundred bucks. Don't worry about it. Yeah, just here, here. here. You need some money. I, you are rich like that. You can pass hope out like that. I mean, you, you know, when you go into a restaurant, it's good to tip money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you not to tip that poor waitress, you know, money because she needs money to eat. But you ought to also be giving her a tip of hope or him a tip of hope. Showing them love and care and concern that goes beyond that. that they go, wow something different about him or her and there's no limit to the hope we have at our resources every day is another opportunity to just drill it down deeper to reach for more because god is infinite he's beyond our comprehension he's infinite and there's no limit to him he just keep going into him and he invites you to reach for more and more and more not so you can hoard it but so you can give it away so that when you're out and about doing your daily work and task, you're a source, and you're a source, you're a spigot, you're just a place where hope pours out. And people go, you know, when I don't know what else to do, I go over and I see them because they're a source of hope. I just see hope pouring out of them all the time. See, but the problem is, as long as we, the church, are sitting here sipping on the surface, And that's where most of the church people are at right now. Most of you have never drilled all the way down deep into that hope. You're sipping on the surface. You're still living in the surface. Paul talks about that. He said, by now, you should be eating meat, but instead you're still having to be spoon-fed milk. When we, the church, are sitting there sipping on the surface of this, when we don't really go down deep into what God wants for us, then we really have little of anything to offer to others. You know, I learned this when I was a kid, that when you drill a well for water in your, you know, like if you live in the country and you're drilling a well for your water, when you drill down when you hit that water, you know, that, that's not where you stop. When, when you hit that top, that place where the water is, if you're really thirsty, that water tastes pretty good. But it's usually full of sand. It's got impurities in it. You drill on down past that and you get into where the reservoir of water actually is, where it's clear. And that's where you want to get your pump and get it down into that. You submerge it down into the clear water. Because after a while, when you're not thirsty and your water's full of sand, it's not very pleasant. So you want that clear water. You want to drill down deep and get into the pure and the clear water. And that's what we as a church should be doing. Our calling as the church is not to point out what the world is doing wrong. See, that's what the church has done for years. We've walked around going, uh-huh, look at that, yep, yep, I'm telling you. They need to quit drinking. Mm, 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 smoking over there, I saw him. Yep, yep, yep. And oh my goodness, do you believe that? You believe the way they talk. And, and we point out everyone's faults. Amen, we do it. Don't tell me we don't do it. We do it. I hear it all the time. Our calling as a church is not to point out what the world is already doing wrong. They can see it there. They feel hopeless. Trust me. They already know that they're messed up. You don't have to tell people they got a problem. Most of the time, most people are walking around feeling pretty hopeless. That's why they're killing themselves. That's why they're not rejoicing. That's why they're not living in the joy that God made them to live in. You know, God's prevenient grace is already at work in people ahead of you. That right now God is already walking around convicting and showing people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict people of sin. And guess what? The Holy Spirit doesn't need your help to convict people of sin. He's taking care of that. What the Holy Spirit wants you to do and what God wants you to do is to take the hope that you have and tell others about it. And then the conviction that he's placed upon them will become real. And they'll see the difference and they'll go, I need that. I'm hungry for that. I want that. How do we drill deeper? You got to get to know and love Jesus well. I'm telling you right now, you cannot go deep into what God wants for you until you get to know Jesus and you got to get to know him well. How do I get to know Jesus well? You have to know about Jesus, but you need to know more who he is. You got to get to know him. And if you're not taking time to get to know him, then you're not going to get to know him. Because I'm going to tell you something, there is no substitute for time in a relationship. If I spend time with my wife on a regular basis, day after day after day, we do pretty well. But after a while, if I get really busy and pretty soon I'm putting that on the back burner and I haven't talked to her for a couple of weeks and we finally get back together, there's a struggle. There's always a struggle. We need time. When we first got married, Darcy would work in the mornings, and she'd go to work at the bank in the mornings, and I would go to school. And then after school, I would go to work, and she would come home. And then after I finished working, I would come home, and she would be in bed, and I'd do homework, and then I'd go to bed, and then I'd sleep, and I'd get up in the morning. If you notice, there's not much time where we overlapped. We hardly saw each other during the week. And then on the weekends, we would get together. And I'd say, okay, now we can talk. We'll be together. And we'd get together. And we would fight. Because everything that I had done wrong all week long, she pointed out to me. And vice versa. And that's what we do with Jesus if we're not careful. We're walking around going, well, I'll get to you later, but right now I don't have time. And it's all about our priorities. But if you're going to live and know Jesus, you're going to have to take time to get to know him. And if you're not willing to live in obedience to what he's already showing you, I'm going to tell you something. God is not going to give you any more than what you're obedient to right now. If you choose not to live in obedience to God, he's not going to give you anything else. Right now, are you living in full obedience to everything you know? Are you living in absolutely full obedience? Because if you are, then great. But my guess is most of us are not. And God is not going to give us more Until we become obedient. He said, go make disciples, teach them to obey. He didn't say, go make disciples and teach them so that they can have a bunch of knowledge. There's no quick and easy way. It takes time and it takes persistence. And you have to do it, and you have to do it, and you have to do it. Secondly, you have to learn to go on the offensive. We are called to intercede for our fellow man. We are not called to sit around and wring our hands. Hand wringing is not a Christian trait. You are called to intercede for your fellow man. To intercede means to stand up for, to defend. There are gaps. There are holes in people's lives. And your job is to stand in the gaps for them and to stand there and to to defend them and to be there for them. To plug up the gaps. I hear you all say you love your families. And I believe you do because you put a lot of time and effort, it seems like, into your families. And I, I see that. You go to their sporting events pretty regularly. You support them in school events, but if you really love them, you'll pour hope out on them. And how do you do that? You will intercede for them. You will stand in the gap for them. You will begin to pray for them. You will pour hope out on them. Jesus and the hope he's given to you, you will live like you have hope and you will fight for your children. But most of us aren't doing that. Third, are you on the offensive? Let me ask you a question. Are you still hoping your children, your husband, your wife, your parents, your sisters, brothers, are you hoping somehow maybe they might come to Jesus? Are you still just weakly living out your faith yourself? If you want people to come to know Christ, if you have family members who aren't saved, you better get busy and get to know Jesus and you need to go down deep. You need to drill into the hope that he has that's the only hope you have of changing, of seeing their lives changed. You need to take the battle to Satan. He's winning the battle for our families. Every time one of our children uh, you know, is aborted, every time somebody takes their own life, every time someone dies from a drug addiction, Satan is winning and we're letting him. And it's time to stop that. We need to get prepared and ready how do you do that well in our church and i don't know everywhere else but in our church wednesday nights we're praying we're learning how to pray you know a lot of you are saying well i just don't know i, I don't pray that much come on wednesday nights we're going to teach you how to pray we're going to pray we're going to pray and we're going to pray and we're going to pray some more and we're going to pray because we're fighting a battle We don't just come to pray. It's not just talking to ourselves. We're coming in here and we're interceding. We're taking Satan on and we're saying, no more. You're not taking our kids. You're not taking our families. You're not taking our our neighborhoods. You're not taking our city. We're going to win this fight. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to convince you that you don't need to come here for that. That you don't need to be a part of that. I'm going to tell you something. There's something sacred and holy when God's people gather together and begin to fight together. And we need to do that. You need to take the time to do that. Second thing is this. You need to jump into the root Sunday school class. A lot of you have been Christians for a long time but do not understand what I'm talking about. Darcy is teaching this class. It meets every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Then they go from 9 to 10. And it's how, how do you go deeper in Christ? How do you get down deep? How do you go from the surface and go all the way down? And you know what? If you're struggling in any way on how to do that, she can help you. I don't know anybody who drills deeper to get deeper into what God wants than she does. That's all she does. She quit her job to do that. She just seeks God on your behalf all day long. That's what she does. And she wants to teach that. She wants to show you. And you need to come and be a part of that. And all you have to do is just show up. You don't have to sign any papers. Try it out. Sunday mornings, 9 o'clock, she's over there, and she'll be right, right over here, right about there, and she'll be able to teach you and show you that. You need to get in on that. Next thing is this. How many of you have a daily ritual that you go through that you get up every morning and you do? Anybody do that? You know, rituals are one of the best things in the whole world. If you're not doing that, you need to set your rituals up. I have rituals. Mine is, I get out of bed, I let the dog out of the cage. That's the first thing, because he he's in there whining at me. So I let him out of the cage, and I feed him his pill, and then I grab some coffee, and I go into my room, and I spend the next hour with the lord because that's my ritual and i'm going to be there that's that's the day that's how it starts and i spend time with him i spend time praying i spend time reading i do the things i need to do i get up so i can do that you need your ritual and it needs to include jesus and not just 10 minutes on the way out the door or five minutes or just on the way i listen to a uh, i listen to my devotional you need to spend time with the lord I'm going to tell you something, the scriptures will never come alive, the Holy Spirit will never speak to you if you don't take the time to sit and meditate on his word and hear what he's trying to say to you. I can read it a thousand times, if I don't stop and really listen to it, I'll miss everything. I'll miss everything completely. You have to take time. Understand that Jesus and your faith is of way more infinite value than money or sports or your play, or your rest, or anything else. Jesus has to be first. And if you're putting everything else first, if you're doing anything else first, if you're putting anything else above that, then you're making a mistake in your life. Because you're going to find out one day there's no hope. Because none of that is going to save you. We have this hope, but the only way we can tap into it is to go on the offensive Go to our neighbors, our friends, and our family and just pour hope all over them. Peter continued in his letter and I just want to read a few more verses to you starting in verse 13. Therefore, when you have prepared your mind for action by being self-controlled, put your hope completely in the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't you love that? That means that when Jesus is revealed, when he is revealed to you, there's hope. Hope comes when you get to see who Jesus is. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former desires you used to conform to in your ignorance. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves be holy in all your contact. For it is written, you will be holy because I'm holy. And if you call on him as a father who judges impartially according to each one's work, conduct yourselves with fear during the time of your temporary residency because you know that you were redeemed from your futile way of life, inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb who was foreknown before the foundation of the world but has been revealed in these last times for you who through him are believing in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. Your hope is in God. So the greatest commodity in the world is hope. And I have hope beyond hope. When all the world around me is shaken and fallen down, I can look him in the eye and say, but I still got hope. I've got hope. And I have hope right now. I've had some difficulties in my life, and I've had some difficulties right now, some things that are just really troubling to me. But guess what? I'm not done. I have hope. I have hope. And I also have hope in my future with him forever. You know what? One of these days I'm going to, as you are, stand before the judgment bar of God. And I can see that in my mind. And I'm standing there, and I get a walk up there, and God is looking, and he asks me this question. Why? Why? What is your what is your reason for hope? If I'm a lot of us, I reach my pocket, and I pull out a pocket full of gold. I made some money. Oh yeah, and I had some influence. My influence, man, I was a really important guy on earth. And God looks at me and says, You know your gold, it's pavement up here. We use it for streets. So what do you have of real value to offer it? And on that day, there's only one thing that's going to count. I'm going to tell you what it is right now. And this is where your hope comes from. It is the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross. When I pull that out and I say, look, my hands are covered by the blood. Jesus died for me. And my father is going to say, welcome home, man. That's exactly right. You're right. You are covered by the blood. That's the only hope we have, guys. I went to the funeral yesterday of a lady that was probably one of the most godly people I'd ever met in my life, amazing lady, Marge Bearden, 93 years old, about this tall, you know, she's a little bitty gal, just powerful. You know, I know she stood before God and she was covered by the blood of Jesus and that's the only thing that she had hope in. Oh, she did some nice things, she was about the sweetest lady, sang in the choir all the time. Told people about Jesus, taught school for years, loved on kids, did all those things. But it was only the blood of Jesus that gave her hope. It's the only thing that gives you hope. Choose to defeat Satan's lies. Right now, I invite you to do something. Become a conduit, a place where hope can flow out of, so that the world can see hope. When we leave here today, we should not leave here as people that go, oh, that was nice or whatever. We should leave here and go, okay, now we got hope. Let's go pour some hope out. Let's go pour some hope out. I love that. I love that when you can pour out hope. There's a guy that comes around here every once in a while, asks me for money, and uh, he's a nice guy. I like him. He's messed up. He's got probably drinking issues and some other stuff. But, you know, I give him a little money from time to time, just try to help him out because I just feel like I should. I don't know why. A lot of people I turn down, but he is one guy. Just give him a little. But you know what? Every time I try to talk to him, every time I try to pray with him, every time I try to say, here's a little hope. Because that's really what he needs. He doesn't need more money. He needs hope. Do you have hope today? Do you have hope? Is Jesus filling you with hope? Do you have hope to give out to others? Because you should. And if you don't, you don't know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, you have hope. Amen? Amen. I've asked Nathan. He's going to come on up here and lead us in some worship time. Um, We're going to stand. We're going to have a place for you to pray if you want to pray. You can do whatever God's calling you to do right now. I just think right now there's a lot of us. We maybe can say, oh, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've done all the right things. But, you know, if you haven't really tapped all the way in and you don't know that hope, if you're right now living and you're sitting, man, I don't know, I'm just, I don't feel like I have any hope, I'm just leaving the altars open. Whether you come or not it's not a real big concern to me. What is my concern is that you find hope, that you find Jesus so that that hope becomes a reality in your life. And so as Nathan leads us, I open the altars up. Come and pray with me and let's seek him and let's go deep into him. That the hope of Jesus would begin to become our reality, man. I'm excited about it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Do you know Him as your living hope today? If you don't, man, today that is so much, so much. It's so rich. It's so powerful to live knowing that we have this incredible hope. And I, and I gotta tell you, you know, um, when when you go to like the class that I was talking about when you go over there to, to roots, you know, that's a, a short term thing. It's not your main, you know, small group. It's a place to go and learn and get up some tools and find out so that you can drill down deep so that you can get all that God has for you. Because you know, it, it, it's just like everything else. You have to have some help sometimes to get there. But but God is so good. And He has so much He wants to do in our lives. Let's let him do it. You know, it's time to just open the floodgates and let God pour out what he wants to do in our midst here in this church. That's what my prayer is for you. Father, right now we just thank you for being here. Lord, I I just ask right now that you would touch each heart. You know what's going on in people's lives and where they're at. Lord, I thank you for those who are here at the front and I thank you for those who are praying maybe in the pews and wherever they may be at and in whatever situation and God, whatever's going on we just thank you for the hope that we have. Because our hope It's beyond this world. Our hope is in this world. It's both. And God, we just cannot believe we get to be the ones who call that what we do. We're the givers of hope. Not not us because of us, but because of you. Don't let us hold on to it this week. Lord, I, I, I know that as we begin to pour out hope, you'll pour more in until it just floods through us. Until we become the most hopeful people on earth as you meant for it to be. Lord, may it be here in Muncie and in Muncie First Church as it is in heaven. That's our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Lord bless.